0: Our reading this morning is Psalm 23. Let us pray that as we hear baby words that are very familiar, that we will hear something new in them today. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack for nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest of valleys, I will fear no evil for he is with me his rod and his staff they comfort me he prepares a table before me in the presence of mine enemies he anoints my head with oil my cup Overflows. Surely his goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen.
1: Morning. It's nice to see you. What well, I can see of you. Shall we pray together that the Lord would speak into our hearts? Let's pray. Father God, thank you for your presence this morning. As I stand here, I'm remembering that at the earliest service, the children were taught a memory verse, and it was simply this: "Speak, Lord." Your servant is listening. And we say that to you together. Speak, Lord, because we're listening. We want you to reach out and to touch our lives. And I ask, Holy Spirit, you would take what I've prepared. Make it useful for you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it is lovely to see you. And... I feel that even though we're not allowed to serve food or drinks, we have a banquet before us this morning. And I'm going to serve refreshments in the form of Psalm 23. And one of the lovely things about Psalm 23, as you've heard it read, uh, is that it's very familiar, isn't it? For most of us, the words are very, very familiar. There are three things I need to get out of the way before I begin to talk about Psalm 23 and this title that's already popped up, Six Promises to Hold On To When the World is Shaking. So here's the first thing I want to get out of the way. To benefit as much as we can from Psalm 23, we need to do something that may not come naturally to us. Certainly doesn't come naturally to me. We need to pretend or imagine that we're a sheep. I hate it when people at the front ask this kind of thing. The moment they say, please pretend to be a sheep. I know I never wanted to be a sheep or an earwig or a dinosaur or a dragon or anything else. I object to being told what I should imagine. But nevertheless, it will help us penetrate this psalm because it's written from a a sheep's eye view of life, as I'm sure you know. The second thing I need to get out of the way is that I know absolutely nothing about sheep, naturally. If this psalm had begun, the Lord is my bus conductor, I would have been on message straight away, because I grew up in London. If it had said, and he pops me on a number nine and deposits me safely at the Royal Albert Hall. I would have known exactly where this psalm was going. But I found out many, many years ago when I first preached on this psalm and a member of the congregation in attendance came up to me and told me at the end, you clearly know nothing about sheep. I'm a sheep farmer. (laughs) I I discovered that I do know nothing about sheep. So I thought I'd just get out of the way And, uh, of course, when you know nothing about an area, the thing to do is to um, research it. So the third thing I need to get (laughs) out of the way, as I have researched this psalm, is to acknowledge my sources. So I am extremely grateful to a guy called Kenneth Bailey. Kenneth Bailey was, he's dead now, he was a linguist, and he wrote a book called The Good Shepherd. And uh, he was extremely fond of linguistics. And uh, he was a scholar. So if you buy his book called The Good Shepherd, which I don't particularly recommend because I've actually swiped all the best bits. uh, It's an extremely dense book and it's got footnotes more than it has the actual book notes, which is the kind of book it is. But nevertheless, we're going to be leaning on him quite a lot for expertise on sheep in Palestine at the time of Jesus. I bet you're glad you know that. And uh, for all his scholarliness, sometimes he he can be extraordinarily uh, alive and graphic. So introducing his psalm, he says, before modern times and mobile phones, the lone traveler who set off, the shepherd who left his shelter and all the protection of villages along the north-south ridge were on their own. And in those open trackless spaces, Thieves, wild animals, snakes, and sudden blinding dust storms, water shortages, loose rocks, and furnace-like heat were all potential threats. And in fact, Mr. Bailey has quite a racy translation of the very first verse. I have no police protection, but my needs are met because the Lord is my shepherd. And I'm going to suggest that we can find six promises. Six promises in this psalm. There are so many ways of looking at this psalm, but for this morning's purposes, six promises will do as well that we can hold on to. And the very first one is this. God meets our needs. God meets our needs. As set out in the very first verse, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be in want. It's rather strange to find that once again we're looking at a verse which is repeated many, many times in scripture. And I remember saying just a fortnight ago, or say, so, that when we come across something said in scripture once, of course it's important, but if it's said multiple times, it has to be that God really wants to get the point home. And it also has to be maybe that it's a point we find very difficult to land in our hearts, which is why it's repeated so often. And this idea of God meeting our needs, it is repeated. Let me, let's just um, revise, do a bit of revision together. Um, I don't know whether the script is big enough for you to read them, but let me read you some of the other times I find this repeated in Scripture. Very, very specifically. Isaiah fifty-eight eleven, the Lord will guide you always. He will satisfy your needs in a sun scorched land, and will strengthen your frame. That sounds great. Psalm thirty-four verse nine and ten, fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him lack nothing. The lands can grow weary and hungry, but those who seek the Lord. Lack no good thing. Similarly, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, God is able to make all grace abound to you so that in all things at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. And then to recap the very first verse, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. Now, I'm not sure it needs to be said, but I will say it anyway. God isn't offering to supply all our wants, in the same way as no good parent would ever supply to a child everything they think they want. We know that would be a recipe for a very spoilt and unpleasant child. But God's promises to us reflect that he will give us all that we need. You could ask the question, I often do, I think, really, what is God good for? And one of the answers is satisfying our greatest needs. Now, Mr. Bailey, at this point, sounds a bit catty. But actually, what he's got to say is nonetheless important for that. I'll read it to you. The psalmist has a very basic set of wants that the shepherd provides for his sheep. And that list includes food, drink, tranquility, rescue when lost, freedom from the fear of evil and death a sense of being surrounded by the grace of God and a permanent dwelling place in the house of the Lord. And now the catty bit. But an ever-rising mountain of material possessions is not on the list. There's no hint of any need for power or control. An externally generated set of compulsive desires and the need to be constantly entertained are also absent. So if we're looking at what is God good for, we might also ask, who is God good to? To those who deserve it? No, no. But to those who will receive it? We know, don't we, who is penning this psalm, who's writing this prayer. Has he lived an exemplary life? Clearly not. It's King David, who in his career, if you want to call it that, is known for committing murder, is known for committing adultery. And yet, and yet, God's love envelops him. And he reaches a point where he can say that if he follows the Lord, nothing is going to be missing. So before we move on, a quick reality check, a quick reality check in verse 1 we need to look at the first five words rather carefully. Because if you change any one of these five words, the rest of the psalm ceases to be true for you, and even verse 1 ceases to be true for us. The Lord is my shepherd. Is he? Is he? And actually, one of the things I think this COVID situation is doing for all of us whether we like it or not, and we probably don't, it's kicking away the props. And some of the things that maybe without consciousness we relied on are no longer there or are threatened to be taken away from us. And I, I don't think there's any other way than being shaken to find out what your foundations really are. So before COVID, I suspect for most of us, you know, there have been periods of our lives where we would have said, I've got plenty of friends, I shall not be in want. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's great to have plenty of friends. I rely on my friends, I shall not be in want. But what happens now that we don't have easy access to our friends? Or some people will say, I'm economically secure, I shall not be in want. And what happens when we feel less economically secure? Or I'm not particularly troubled, Right now, by any member of my family, they're more or less behaving themselves, and life's going relatively well. And who wouldn't wish for that? But what happens when that dips? Well, if that's where our peace was, it'll disappear. But David says in this psalm, no, my foundation is the Lord is my shepherd. And if you were a sheep, a life lived out of touch with the good shepherd would be a life of struggle for a sheep. And for us who are followers of God, a life out of touch with our Lord will be a life when we're never at peace or at ease. So it's good to know, isn't it, that Jesus describes himself as the good shepherd who goes out of his way to find one lost sheep. That he precisely comes on that kind of a mission, seeking to save the lost telling another story, didn't he? Uh, that it gives more pleasure to find one sheet that was lost than 99 who were never lost. So he doesn't begrudge us the search. He would welcome us back. Now I to step back from my points and just say something about this Psalm. This Psalm meanders. Not only do we have to be sheep this morning, we have to be prepared to go on a meandering journey. I'm not very good at that. I'm an A to B kind of guy. I like to know where am I starting from? What's the destination? And I don't generally take much notice of what goes along in the journey. I just want to arrive. But you won't get much out of this psalm if you're not prepared to meander. We have to stop and take in the view. It's a bit like uh, I'm watching um, a series on, of programs on, on television at the moment, about Michael Palin traveling around the world. And, you know, it would be, it'd be a rubbish program if you just published the train timetable and said, I began in England, now I'm in Moscow. You know, you want to know what goes along the journey. In this psalm, part of reading this kind of scripture is allowing it to penetrate us. There's nothing difficult to understand. So we can't just say, oh, I've got to reach for the 101 dictionaries. What's difficult is being slow enough to let it go in, to enjoy it. So my first point was just simply that. God, if you'll let him, will meet all your deepest needs. So will we let him? That was the first promise. Here's the second. God, amazingly, is in the restoration business. God is in the restoration business. When we spend time with him individually, he enjoys our company, and we get to enjoy his. Verses 2 and 3. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me besides quiet waters, and then he restores my soul. I think I used to be a bit threatened by this. The whole idea of he makes me lie down in green pastures. I think I'd heard someone once say, and they were wrong to say it, actually, as we'll see, that if it takes God to clobber you so that you have to be lying down face up in your hospital bed, well, that's okay. Uh, you know, maybe he has to do that. That is actually not what's being described here. He makes me lie down in green pastures. Let's turn to the sheep specialist again, who's got something to say about this. A dog can be trained to sit and lie down. Not so a sheep. We know the saying, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make it drink. In like manner, no one can make a sheep lie down. The sheep will only lie down when they have had plenty to eat, have quenched their thirst, and are not threatened by any wild animal or disturbed by biting insects. The barking of one stray dog can cause an entire herd of sheep to jump and even run off, if not stopped by an alert shepherd. So, says Kenneth Bailey, I prefer the translation, he settles me down. And so do I. (laughs) And what we're being offered here is restoration where we most need it. He restores my soul. I don't remember much that I learned I'm afraid to say in my uh, degree back at Exeter University. But I remember having to do one study about what are the key ingredients for couples that get on? Is is it that um, like people attract or is it that opposites attract, that kind of thing? And what's the key ingredient for keeping them together? And actually at the end of all the research, the end result wasn't all that amazingly surprising. The key ingredient was Communication is the number one essential. That if you want to remain in a relationship with someone, you have to be able to communicate together. I don't think it's that different with God. If we want to remain growing in God, close to God, close to the shepherd, then we have to let him settle us down. We have to allow him to restore our souls. We have to be in communication with him. So what that says to me is, have I let that happen recently? Am I prepared to be still enough, quiet enough, for long enough that he can do soul surgery? And I know whenever I try it, it's challenging ground. I don't know how you find it, but even early this morning when I was trying it and I was reading through and praying through this talk again, I was... I wouldn't say I was disappointed with myself because it's reality. I was just finding that I was thinking about cups of coffee more than I was the proximity of Jesus Christ. And I thought, well, if you're going to go on like that, you might as well get a cup of coffee and come back to this spot and try all over again. But it will be so nourishing to our souls to be still for long enough to let the good shepherd come close. That's what he wants to do. He he is in the restoration business, and he can lead us to quiet places, to quiet waters, and restore us. I think I love this picture because it corrects the view I have of God. I I slightly fall into the temperament trap of being an activist, and I love it that Jesus actually said to his disciples, come with me by yourself to a quiet place and get some rest. It shows me that that kind of time wasn't considered a waste of time for Jesus. And he encourages us to get close to him so he can restore us. It's consistent with a picture he gives to Isaiah in Isaiah 40. He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those who have young. I love that, because I'm sure you've seen those who have young. And some of you looking around are in that place now. And I can tell you what those who have young look like. Frazzled. Because it comes with the territory. It, you can't help it. It just, it just does. My young are not young anymore. But I still remember being frazzled. And the picture here is he gently carries the lambs in his arms close to his heart so that you can catch his heartbeat. Get it? I hope this isn't um, winding you up. You know, I hope you're not kind of thinking, oh, I wish you'd get to the next point and say something new. Because sometimes it's these old points. We just got to sink in. This is a blessing. He's in the restoration business. Friend of mine, Uh, was a very prominent vicar quite some years ago, and he used to go on international teaching assignments and all this sort of thing. And he wrote about two books a year, and he preached God knows how many sermons. And then he found himself struck down by cancer. And he found himself writing in a personal newsletter to his friends. God showed me that all my preaching, writing, and other ministry was absolutely nothing compared to my love relationship with him. In fact, sheer busyness had squeezed out the close intimacy that I had once known. And I thought, wow, that's honest. We could all find ourselves in that place. So don't be afraid to be still with God and to give him time so he can restore you. Here's the third promise, completely different territory now. God is going to guide us. Verse 3, he guides me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And I guess if there's one subject that followers of Christ get into a stew about pretty often, it's guidance. And I want to share with you just very encouraging. God wants to guide us. It's absolutely mainstream and at the heart of what he does. He is an expert at guidance. And I I sometimes imagine you, suppose you were writing a job description, uh, shepherd required. What would you put in your list of essential qualities of a good shepherd? And what would you put in your secondary list of desirable qualities? And um, you know, I can think a desirable quality might be tolerance of the outdoor life. That'd be helpful. I don't think you're going to be much good as a shepherd if you never leave home. Uh, willingness to spend long times getting wet and being uncomfortable. Ability to relate to sheep. Yeah. All those kinds of things, probably important. The ability to guide the sheep. Number one, essential. Any any shepherd, even a kind of plonk-along grade six shepherd, not much good at anything, you have to rely again to guide the sheep. And Jesus isn't number six, grade six, hardly any good shepherd. He's the supreme shepherd. So it's mainstream and absolutely given requirement that God would guide his sheep, you and me. And he's invested in it. He says, for his own name's sake. It's... It's not to God's glory to have his followers wandering around in circles looking lost. That would be a pathetic advertisement for his followers. No, Jesus says exactly the opposite, doesn't he? He says, I know you by name. I call you by name. My sheep know my voice. They follow me. Yes? So we can go into the presence of the Lord and say, guide me. And he will. He will guide us if we'll allow him. There is a slight bit of challenge here though, so I'm not going to hide it. He guides us in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And maybe, just maybe, this is the bit of ground that some of us flinch from. We go to the Lord and say, guide me. I, I want your guidance, but I have met people who's then sort of put their fingers in their ears and say, oh no, I don't really want to go in that direction. When we read that he says he guides us in paths of righteousness, it's saying he guides us along the right paths, which says the path of holiness, the path that brings him pleasure, the path which is a narrow path, not the broad path, the path which is nine times out of 10 going to be where the world tells you you shouldn't go. And that's why it's challenging And if a time should ever come where we say back to the Lord, we'd never say it out loud, but we're effectively saying it, no, Lord, I'm going to go with the flow. No, Lord, I'm going to trust my gut. No, I'm going to go with my feelings. I'm going to follow the crowd. Because after all, everyone else is doing it. You can know for sure that you're not being guided by the good shepherd anymore. But if we go to him and say, Lord, I'm yours, I surrender, just speak speak, Lord, your servant is listening, then he will do this. He will guide us in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And it's a good path. It's always the best path because there's nothing in God which is apart from his goodness. He can never act against his nature. If you go to God for guidance, you'll get it. And if you'll obey, you'll find it's the best way. God promises to guide. Let's move on to the fourth promise. You'll never walk alone. You and I will never walk alone. God is going to be with us every step of the way. And that's throughout this psalm. It makes this point over and over again. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death or the darkest valley, I'll fear no evil because you're with me. You're with me. Nothing is going to happen in this life or beyond it that will separate us from the love of God. I'm with you always to the end of the age. Some years ago now, I was in a correspondence with a very good friend of mine who lived in Cornwall called Emma, who knew that she had terminal cancer. And um, we, we would just, to use Guy's phrase, we would ping an email to each other. And um, unfortunately, autocorrect got in the way of one of my emails. And um, my, what I, my heading had been praying for you, but it turned it into pranging for you, like two cars prang, which wasn't a great heading. I I didn't spot it till she wrote back to me, dear Rupert, thank you for pranging. And then she wrote this, she'd been for a scan and she told me that she was fearful of having to lie still while this very, very noisy machine did this medical procedure of her. I felt so close to Jesus or Jesus was so close to me as the machine was wearing. In fact, I found myself smiling at him, and then I laughed to myself at the thought of him enabling me to do this in such a place. Without him, I would have been a nervous, terrified wreck. The whole episode ended with a giggle with the two radiographers. It was extraordinarily a pleasant experience with only a huge bruise on my hand, not painful to show that I'd ever been there. Jesus promises to be with us. I'm with you always to the ends of the earth. In fact, if you read this psalm carefully, you'll see that you've got Jesus ahead of you, alongside you, and following you. You find that he leads us besides still waters. He walks with us in the valley. And surely goodness and mercy follows us. He's all around. If you can bear one more quote from Mr. Bailey talking about how defenseless sheep are. He says, sheep have a special problem. They have no defenses. Cats have teeth, claws and speed. Dogs have their teeth and speed. Horses can kick, bite and run. Bears can claw, bite and crush. Deer can run. But the sheep have no bite or claws and cannot outrun any serious predator. They can butt other sheep. But that ability won't protect them from a wolf or a bear. The sheep's only security is the shepherd. Indeed, you are with me. And he is with us. Promise number five, and we're nearly there. God is prepared for you and me in advance. He has good things prepared for us, even in the middle of hard times. Verse five, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You've anointed my head with oil and my cup overflows. And it's an an interesting perspective, this, in the middle of the troubled times that we're in. It, It says to us, even when you look all around you and things seem bleak and dark and there are many things to contend with, that doesn't mean that God's fled. No, not at all. He can anoint you and bless you. That's what this picture of oil is. It's an oil of blessing and abundance. He can give you everything that you need and more. You can be precious to God. I can be precious to God, even in the middle of God's enemies. And lots of commentators um, point out to us as followers of Christ, of course we have enemies. Uh, Satan is our enemy. Spiritual warfare is a real thing. There's never going to be a day or a week when our kingdom building for Christ isn't contested. But even in the middle of a contest, God has prepared a table for us. He is prepared for us this week. He does have good things for you and me this week. He can bless us this week. Okay, the final final promise. Verse 6. Blessing, blessing, blessing. That's what God has for you and me. Surely, goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I'll dwell in God's house forever. And I particularly love the fact that goodness and love are going to follow us all the days of our life. One of these words is the word chesed. It's a very strong word. It's talking about the kind of love, which is like superglue or araldite. You might remember if you've got good memories that there used to be um, for a period of time, a very spectacular advert for that kind of superglue. And half of a car was glued up to the advertising billboards. And literally you saw a car sticking out, out of the advertising billboards because the glue was that strong. And we're being told by God, that his love superglues us to him. Surely, goodness and superglue love is going to be with us all the days of our life, all the days of our life. There's never going to be a day that I need to worry about when God says, Rupert, you're on your own. Rupert, I don't love you anymore. And you can put your own name in there. And not only is goodness and mercy, goodness and love, going to follow me every day of my life, But when my life's over, I will enjoy his presence forever. Friends, this has been a sermon all about receiving from the Lord. This is not a challenging sermon in so many ways. It's a reminder that there is a place we can go and nestle with safety. I've asked Dan if he would like to come up and Uh, After I've just prayed a short prayer, he's going to uh, lead us in a setting of Psalm 23. And as he does this, we'll just remain seated. But I invite you to uh, open your heart to the Lord, uh, to try and let some of these promises and good things come close to you. Let me lead us in a prayer. Father God, thank you that this psalm, Speaks to us of your love for us. And we want the words on the page to become reality for us. That really our theme tune for the day and the week would be the Lord is my shepherd. And I won't lack anything good. And we pray you'd have access to our lives that you'd be able to restore us where we need it. You wouldn't find us fighting against you. We'd be still enough to receive. Thank you that your love is huge, like a waterfall that never ends. Thank you that your mercy is massive. And Lord, if we've been hesitating about following you, when you're trying to guide us. I pray you give us the courage to lay down our fears, our reluctance, our rebellion, and just to come back to you, the good shepherd today. Thank you,
0: Lord Jesus. Amen.